Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 358 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is President's Day. Happy President's Day, everyone. February 16, 2015. We've got a big show for you this week with Dan Weber, USCFootball.com. Beat writer will be on solo because Coach Harvey Hyde on secret assignment. He's at Jerry Tarkanian's funeral. They both coach the UNLV together, as you know. So we'll have Coach on again next week. Dan Weber answering your questions this week. And without further ado, let's bring him in. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Oh, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Speaking of, uh, of Jerry, uh, I was just talking to Dick Manigian. Uh, Don Manigian, if you remember, a uh, real sharp kid. He was uh, quarterback with the, uh, uh, basically the scouting quarterback and, and a big kind of the brains of the operation. Well, Dick was the... Uh, TV uh, did all the TV for UNLV uh, when Jerry was the coach, and uh, Dick talks about how USC could have hired Jerry back in, I guess, like 1994 when they hired Henry Bibby, and uh, how that might have changed things at USC uh, basketball forever had they uh, had they decided to uh, to hire Jerry uh, Tarkanian would have been. Uh, Really, uh, uh, what that would have done to USC basketball, it's, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, he went to Fresno State then, right? I think so. that's when he did, yes. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, there's the Fresno ties with him. and um, Yeah, it's just crazy. And, and, and you had a piece uh, people can check out too. But yeah, Co- that's where Coach is going to be this week, so we won't have him on. We'll just uh, we'll do our regular show, and you can ask us questions, podcast at uscfootball.com if you have any questions for us. And uh yeah, we'll just jump in and get to the questions, if that's good with you. It sounds great. So uh, there's been a lot of talk. Um, you end up breaking the news about Bob Connolly, the USC offensive line coach, probably about two weeks before USC officially announced it. Um, they actually, Steve Sarkeesian introduced him on signing day to boosters, and they still took a while to officially announce it after that. Uh, Bob Connolly on Twitter went and said, fight on, and, you know, coming to USC and they still didn't announce it. So I'm not sure what was going on with all that, but uh, there's been a lot of kind of negative talk about him on the message boards, as you know, Dan. So Chip in uh, Rancho Santa Margarita wrote in and said, it seems like coach Connolly has been around the block quite a bit. He has some success early in his career with Washington state, but has had uh, mediocre results at Alabama and UTEP and has been one and done at UCLA, Arizona state, Oklahoma state, and then he coached a year out of high school in their, uh, high school football in Arizona. It seems to have a solid background, but not a lot of success uh, or stability lately. Does Coach, uh, does Dan or Coach Hyde know him or know of his reputation? Do you think he's a good hire? That's uh, from Chip in Rancho Santa Margarita. Yeah, I don't, and I I didn't ever pick up much on him when uh, the year he was at UCLA, for example, would have been our probably our best shot. And then he coached against USC uh, for Arizona State for that year in, uh, I guess, uh, 2012. And so now he hasn't been, you know, on our radar. Obviously, uh, covered the game 
at Washington State was, I guess, my first time up there when, when they beat USC at the buzzer, basically, in overtime um, with a really good team. And, uh, you know, any success I think you have at Washington State where, uh, where that team actually won the Pac-12, and the fact that he coached with Mike Price, who was really a good coach for six years, even though, uh, you know, four of them were at Texas El Paso, and that was a tough place to coach if you were really trying to be, you know, very good in, in, you know, college football. He was at Alabama, probably the worst time you could be at Alabama with uh, Mike Sula and trying to get through, uh, you know, their uh, sanctions, post-sanction period. Um, uh, he did survive. I mean, you know, they kept him on even though they got rid of Mike Price because of that, you know, episode with the, uh, you know, summer golf tournament, stripper, all of that kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, I, it would be really hard to, to say. I know this. Uh, he clearly had success, I think, last year at Oklahoma State. I mean, this was a team that I guess started out with, you know, not a lot to, uh, to, you know, in terms of talent, in terms of experience, in terms of much of anything in their offensive line. By the end of the year, yeah, they were a pretty good team. Uh, they won the bowl, their bowl game against Washington, uh, which everybody, you know, knows had three All-Americans on defense. And they scored 30 points and beat Washington 30 to 22. So his offensive line, you know, came around. I know we heard that they were going to reorganize the uh, the way they were doing it at Oklahoma State and, and the offensive line. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's hard. I mean, there were years when we would, you know, you'd go to practice every day at USC, and it would be hard to evaluate exactly what some of the assistant coaches were doing because, you know, so much of it, you know, he's going to be the run game coordinator at USC. You know, a lot of that has to do with the offensive coordinator and, you know, how you, how you design the, you know, the run plays and when you call them and all that kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, at practice, uh, you know, for, for USC's purposes, the hardest guy to evaluate on the practice field just because of where they practice. And where we have to stand is the offensive line coach. So you don't always have that, you know, hands-on ability to, to absolutely see what it is they're doing and how they're doing it. And you're basically going to be, you know, determined by, uh, you know, the end result. And how do they, how does he work with, um, uh, you know, with this, you know, basically it's kind of a second, third-year group of pretty talented offensive linemen who in some ways, did a better job than you would expect with, you know, three brand new freshman guys on the offensive line. And yet in some ways, maybe they didn't, you know, get to where you would like to have seen them get, uh, with the talent, with the big athletes that were there and, and the consistency that you'd like to see. So, so I would hold fire. I mean, I think that was my basic recommendation at this point is, uh, we may not know enough to say, okay, this is the greatest hire in the world. I'm not sure we know enough to say, you know, this isn't uh, something that's going to work either. I mean, I just think this is one that, it, you, you know, the guy obviously, uh, it, it, interesting resume. I mean, you know, this all of that moving around by the time he gets to USC at a time when there, there are really some athletes in the offensive line, that may be the exact guy you're looking for. You know, that his ability to say, wow, look at this talent that I've got and look at what I can do with him and all of that. Sark must have seen something 
that he liked there because he wasn't, you know, one of the front runners. He wasn't one of the guys that would just jump right out at you and say, this is the guy you got to hire. So, so I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, some of the posters are just so definitive in terms of, of judging it, you know, as a failed hire or whatever. And I just don't think you can do that yet. I just think it's uh, way too early, uh, you know, to even have that kind of an opinion. Um, and I just give the guy a chance. I mean, we we do hear he's an, an you know enthusiastic recruiter. He obviously is a uh, you know a, a lifer. Uh, you know, he's a, and probably a, a college football lifer. And uh, so there's some things that he's probably a guy that can recruit Texas, a Texas Texas guy, and he's had plenty of West Coast experience. So, uh, so I just think we uh, let's just see what happens. I I don't think it's uh, I don't think we should be you know so absolutely certain as to how this is going to work out. Yeah, I think that's sage advice from Dan Weber. Definitely check it out. But I, I was a little shocked, Dan, that that there's so much negativity just because of looking at the resume. Just you just don't know every situation. You just can't assume. Oh, it must be this. Oh, he's terrible hire. And it, it was crazy how many people just jumped on that right away. Yeah, it's, it was almost as if they had their hearts set on. It's like, and, 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 you know, is that the the result of fantasy football where everybody runs their own little team and you know they've got in their own, <laughs> you know, or, or you know, or they wanted to have bragging rights, uh, you know, with regard to UCLA or something, and they didn't want somebody that the UCLA guys were saying, eh, you got somebody, you know, was only here a year, and you know, I mean, some of the years he was at places were really tough years to be at places and you know he's still he's still surviving and still going on and and so he's had uh he's had uh, some tough some tough times i would think at, at, at the places he was when he was there so being at usc this coming year who knows i mean this may be you know, where you just say wow you know look at what i get a chance to do and i'm gonna make sure this thing works so uh i just Let's see. Let's let this play out. Yeah, and I think I guess maybe one thing on on Connolly's side would be it feels like you know Gundy wanted to keep him at Oklahoma State, so I, I guess that's you know a little feather in his cap. Well, yeah, 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 that was no question about it, and I think they worked out a you know deal where that wouldn't be official till after signing day, and I, I think that's without a question. And you know, heck, I saw. One of the, uh, oh, who's the guy, uh, Jerry Palm, maybe, uh, picked his four teams for, uh, you know, ESPN for his four for the college football playoffs next year. And one of them's Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, so they, they must have been getting better if, uh, now I know there were people who said, what? Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they certainly were getting better. Uh, and he was there a year, so I give him that, you know, and he's really familiar with, uh, you know, with a lot of different ways of doing things on offense and familiar with, uh, you know, with the no huddle and, and playing fast and, and all of that. So, uh, so you know, I, I'm, I'm not – I do not have a strong opinion as to, uh, you know, how this is going to play out. And at this point, you just uh, – you know, I think if you're a USC fan, you say, you know, I think this can work, and, and, and you know, I'm going to give this guy uh, every chance. Uh, you know, that you because the other thing is, you hire another guy, this guy or that guy, you don't really know. I mean, as much as we like Tim Dove personally and all of that, he was the assistant offensive line coach at, at the 49ers. He wasn't 
wasn't the head guy. And I know they didn't make much of that. And I don't know if it really mattered all that much. But, uh, but you know, those things on the resume, I'm not sure, you know, how much you can judge uh, assistant coaches by the resume. All right, Dan, let's see. Let's move on. We want to talk. This is actually kind of a recruiting uh, team slash, you know, uh, uh, voicemail question here. So looking ahead, this recruiting class, looking ahead even a, a year or so more. Uh, interesting take here. I wanted to play it for you and then get your thoughts. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Corey from L.A. I love what you're doing with the show. Coach Heidi, you're amazing. Um, basically, now that's to settle uh, with this uh, recruiting class. Do you believe that the recruiting the size that we need was directly added for the Alabama game coming up? Because now that we got six four guys across the board, uh, two hundred thirty five pounds plus, um, going into the Alabama game, we'll have uh, not only the size, but we have the experience. You know, with the line, running backs, receivers, uh, in the in the front seven on the defense. Um, do you believe that they actually recruited? for this game coming into it, or that's just the actual angle that we want to go. Because believe it or not, I'm glad we got Alabama on the schedule. Too bad we couldn't get them in the big game. But I don't care if the game took place on the 405. It's what we wanted, and uh, and it is what it is. So I'm ready to do it. Fight on. And, uh, have a great day. Yeah, I, I think the Alabama game is just uh, an example of uh, they want to be able to compete with people like that, whether you do it at the first game of the year or at the end of the year. I thought it was, uh, you looked at Gerard's uh, interview with, uh, you know, Coach Sermon. Uh, I think, you know, that, that sense of you want to be the kind of team that physically and athletically is able to compete, uh, you know, in the college football playoffs. And I guess when you add an Alabama at the beginning of the year, uh, basically, you're, you know, you're getting to start at that level at the very beginning of the year. But I, I, I don't know it, you know, that they're just say focusing on the Alabama game, uh, you know, it's a year where you're going to play Notre Dame and Stanford also. Uh, so you're going to play some, you know, some, you know, teams that are, you know, big and powerful. Uh, eh, you know, I, 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 obviously they know they're opening up with Stanford year after next, but, um, but I think it's more just that this is how they want to play the game. This is who they want to play it with big athletic guys, you know, especially you know on defense, they've already got them on offense. They're going to get going a little bigger in wide receiver, for example, and uh, bigger corners. Uh, but the uh, and uh, the, the defensive line guys, uh, you know, they're it's, you know it's an you know it's a it's a big SEC look. And I think the one place that the SEC you would look at and say, wow, this is where they often have. That advantage is big athletic linebackers, and um, this is what USC's got. They brought in big athletic linebackers, and it's what they didn't have. So uh, if you're going to say, you know, they got more of a, of, of a look at where they could stand there with Alabama and say, you know, you don't have any advantage on us, uh, you know, physically or athletically, um, I think they did that in, uh, you know, almost everywhere you look. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's an interesting concept, I guess, that you'd be recruiting for one game specifically. But I do think that this sort of defense, you do want bigger linebackers, just the you know to play that many guy, that many linebackers out there, and you have the rush end. You, you needed bigger guys, and and USC really didn't. They had guys with heart, like you know Hayes Pollard and stuff, but didn't have the kind of six four length and and you know rangey guys. And I actually asked Steve Sarkeesian this 
at the uh, press conference, and he said, for sure. I mean, that's something that um, they were looking to do. But I, I don't think it was specifically for Alabama, but I, I think you want this, you would want this team to have big athletic linebackers, you know, big athletic defensive linemen, and bringing in three guys in the middle that are over 300 pounds. Um, it's hard to do here on the West Coast. Um, so when you find guys that you think can work, um, you know, the real big athletic dude, you know, Rasheem Green is like one of, for me, was like the must get just because you don't have, those guys don't really grow on trees out here in the West like they do in the South. So I think certainly it was an upgrade with size all over the place. And, um, you know, really on the defensive side, I just think this team got a lot better. But I don't think it's specifically for the Alabama game. Certainly it'll help, but I don't think it was just for that. Well, and, and you just hope going into a year like that that you can look to playing somebody like Alabama at the start of the year and somebody like Alabama at the end of the year. <laughs> and, and that's just how you think about it, you know. And, and to do that, you got to have, you know, those guys that, that they recruited. And those, those kids do look like the kind of kids that you line up on the field with, with an Alabama-type team and feel like, okay, let's see who wins this game. You won't go in there thinking – gosh, you know, can we hang with them or whatever. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think uh, Alabama is just symptomatic of how they want to go, and it just happens to be that I I don't think it would change anything uh, in the recruiting had Alabama not been on that, uh, on the schedule to start the year in 2016. But, uh, you know, all the more, you know, all the better if, uh, if they're there. All right, uh, let's move on. Stephen Poway, he says, I love the podcast. You, got, you guys do a great job. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Steve. Uh, as we look to the fall of 2015, I'm a bit concerned about the hype that is starting to build around this USC football team. Based on the quote from uh, Steve Sarkeesian in the LA Times this morning, he is not going to downplay the expectations for this team. And here are my two questions for Dan. The first one is, do you think this philosophy of embracing the high expectations is a good one? Or should Coach Sark downplay things a bit more? And he said, note, as great as the Notre Dame outcome, oh, I'm sorry, National Signing Day outcome was, I hate to say it, but UCLA may have had just as good of a day since they addressed their needs with top national prospects. So getting through the Pac-12 South is going to be very challenging, to say the least. By allowing the national championship hype, do we potentially risk the uh, – uh, causing some problems with our crosstown rivals and others in the Pac-12 who believe we may be overlooking them. Well, you can't overlook anybody. I mean, that's the thing they've got to understand. Uh, obviously, last year they overlooked Boston College uh, and then didn't finish really well. Other than that, you know, there were, the losses came in games where, you know, they – wasn't exactly, you know, a case of overlooking anybody. It was a case of not finishing, uh, finishing up. But, uh, but no, I'm a big proponent in, uh, in, in the, in the hype and, and embracing the hype and, 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 you know, doing everything you can to live up to the hype. I think that, uh, it's the thing that doing a story about the way they're approaching the nutrition program or the way they're doing weight, you know, the weights and conditioning, um, uh, they are embracing the idea that they want to be in the playoffs and that they, you know, I know it's, uh, you know, it's a step or two past where Pete, Pete Carroll was always, let's, uh, you know, win the Pac-12 or the Rose Bowl. I mean, they had a, a very simple uh, gauge for success was win the Rose Bowl if it turned out that 
you know, you played well enough not only to win the Rose, you know, to get to the Rose Bowl or to be good enough to get to the Rose Bowl, that also got you into the BCS, uh, you know, two-team playoff. Well, that so much the better. Uh, these guys are even more, I think, talking about let's go, uh, let's let's get in the playoffs. Uh, and uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a two-tiered thing with these kids. I think first of all, they're saying we we got to win the Pac-12 South, and and then the championship game it'll take care of itself. But then on the on the top of that, you do hear them saying that they really want to be uh, able to you know be in that uh, you know that final four. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for the coaches. I think it's good for Sark. I think it's good to to know that you have to be that good. You have to make you, – you can't have any throwaway games. can't have any games that, uh, you know, where you you sit on leads and things like that. you just got to go out and, uh, and, and beat people. And um, I think just knowing that there is that chance uh, – and I, I would not worry about UCLA other than, you know, I, I don't care who they recruit. I don't think USC should. You can't have everybody, uh, and you just have to show up and play. I mean, there's just three straight years USC hasn't shown up and played against UCLA, and that's on USC. That doesn't have anyone ever look at them. Uh, they just didn't show up and play, and UCLA did. And, you know, from that standpoint alone, uh, I don't think it matters what you're thinking about the, the hype or the end of the season or anything, you just show up and play against UCLA and don't, uh, you know, don't let them out physical you. Don't let them outsmart you. You know, don't let them, you know, all of the things that UCLA has done for three straight years against three straight coaching staff, uh, that's the problem, I think, with UCLA is not, you know, overlooking them or the hype for USC or whatever. Uh, I think the hype is really... And, and I don't want to source this as a hype, but just expectations that if you're a USC team, you've recruited well, you ought to be in the mix when they're start when they're looking around to say who can be in the national championship picture uh, with the kind of recruiting USC does, with the history USC has. Um, you just got to you know you got to figure you're going to be there, and the coaching staff has to be. If you're going to recruit the best players, you basically have to say. The coaching staff has to match those players. You got to have the best coaching staff too, and uh, that's what that's what has to happen. It has to all go together. But but I really like the idea that you can make a case that USC should be one of those uh, you know four playoff teams. The uh, his second part of the question was, what do you think this team needs to work on the most during the off season to prepare themselves for success in the fall? Well, I think they're doing it. I think I, I'm real impressed with, uh, you know, how hard they're working in the weightlifting and the uh, conditioning, you know, four days a week and six o'clock they're out on the field. And I think they're doing it, you know, we thought last year they came in and, and it was awfully thorough and awfully, you know, didn't leave them a lot of, you know, time or ability to, to do a lot of winter throwing. And um, I think they, you know they're doing more of it this year. I think the uh, the nutrition program is is more you know scientific and and thorough and serious and uh, with more resources. And uh, I like the way that's going. You know, for the guys that need to gain, the guys that need to lose. Uh, I, I think they're taking it you know really seriously. Um, I I couldn't have asked for any better. Uh, summer work last year. I thought the summer work that they did last year 
if they could just match that, you know, it was great. I mean, they'd do, they'd come out and in less than an hour, you know, they'd run it well over a hundred plays, uh, in the summer with the, you know, the player run practices, uh, uh, for the spring, I guess what you'd like to see a little bit more now that they've got more players and, and more bodies is, uh, you know, more of a chance for the kids that say a Lamont Simmons type kid, uh, who we didn't, you know, get to see as much of, um, to, to really, uh, you know, get a chance to show what he could do. Those, those kinds of kids, uh, you know, the freshmen that are, that are coming in to see what they can do and to see the offensive line kind of become a really, you know, real cohesive unit and, and figure out exactly where everybody's going to be and figure out, you know, exactly what their philosophy with the run game is going to be and how are they going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, when they have to run it, when, they, when it's third and two, fourth quarter, on the 27-yard line at Utah, and all you need is the first down, you figure out a way to get it without running trick plays. All right, Dan. Well, that was a good transition. You talked about the USC run game situation. We have a question from Damani. He said, love the podcast. I wanted to ask about the USC running back situation specifically about Trey Madden. We can sometimes have short memories when it comes to sports, but Madden opened the 2013 season absolutely on fire. He had been slowed down by injuries, which cleared the way for Justin Davis to make some noise as Buck Allen's second fiddle during the 2014 season. As talented as Davis is, I'd like to see Madden as the feature back if he's capable of doing what he did two seasons ago. I know injuries can really make it tough to reclaim a lost position, but I see Madden as being every bit the caliber back that Buck Allen was. With Buck Allen now gone to the NFL, what are your thoughts on how USC should approach the running game next season? Yeah, I mean, I think they can be, you know, more that, uh, I mean, I think Trey could be more that Bishop Sankey type guy that, uh, that Sark had at uh, Washington, uh, significantly bigger. But still, that kind of a guy that just can, you know, just bust it up in there and get yards on his own, and, and just have a, a, a real confidence in that. And that uh, Justin uh, can be kind of the, you know, uh, alternative uh, type of back where he he hits you for the, you know, the home run hitting guy who can hit you off of uh, off of Trey. I think the one thing we always forget about Trey is uh, he'll probably play at 225. I'm guessing. And he's got such good hands, and and you know if his if his feet will hold up, uh, I just think he could be in in a combination with this big, which should be big veteran line. Uh, they ought to be able to you know just dictate how the game's going to be played on offense. They really should be able to do that, and you know just pound people and pound them, and you know throw the ball when they want. Uh, and, and I, I just think, you know, you can't overlook Ronald Jones. I just think he's just spectacular. And, and some of the things, you know, the ways that they might be able to use him in there, again, as a as a home run, you know, hitting threat. I mean, he just has got some things that you just can't teach and you, you haven't had in years. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in looking. I mean, if you have to set your defense to stop Trey, uh, you might not be as easily able to stop uh, a lot of other things USC is going to do. So I think he sets sets up the offense, uh, and if he holds up, you know they could be 
offensively they can have the ability to dictate to people, I think, and uh, that's a really good thing. And it also would allow them to have this kind of confidence level and, uh, you know, we can do what we want to do. And, and when you don't come out and, and worry about, you know, can we get, you know, the, the, the third and two, uh, you know, you don't have to throw the ball. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think I, I tend to agree with you, Trey. Uh, we've forgotten him a little bit, uh, and not you know, not in any purposeful way. Just he hasn't played, so uh, he's not in the front of everybody's thinking. But uh, I, I would think the coaches, he's at the front of their thinking. All right, uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. Let's go to Eric in Dallas, and uh, he wanted to thank. Uh, us for the inside and everything USC football. You're very welcome, uh, Eric. Uh, being from the Central Valley, Kingsburg, uh, which is outside of uh, Fresno, if you guys don't know that. Um, but now living in the South, my wife and I are bombarded with SC propaganda uh, a lot. Uh, my question is, do you feel a buzz around Southern California that USC is headed in the right direction? An attitude change from what the sanctions did to us and a hunger uh, from the program, that this is the year that we officially put everything behind us and take control of the Pac-12. Uh, thanks and love the podcast. Fight on, from Eric. Well, that, that's certainly the way we're, we're looking at it and selling it and promoting it. That you know, USC survived the sanctions in ways in which you know you couldn't have predicted, and no one else probably could in the in the nation uh, faced with those circumstances. That uh, and Yet, coming off of a season where you look back and say, man, what might have been, what could have been. So I think you've got the, you know, the optimism of the recruiting classes, uh, the optimism of where people think USC fits in for next year, and you've got the, you know, the ability to look back at last year and say, man, gosh, we could have avoided this or could have avoided that or if only – and would have been in the championship game and all of that kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it certainly looks like the, uh, you know, circumstances and the, the way history is moving, it's moving in a direction where there's going to be a buzz about USC football, I think. I think the way they were, you know, jumping on selling, you know, season tickets immediately, you know, on, uh, you know, starting with the signing day dinner that people were, we're pretty excited. I think the signing day dinner was the biggest that they've ever had. And uh, so people were paying attention. And uh, I think that's a, that's a really good thing. So, yeah, I think it's just a combination of, of everything that you've got um, is what, what you need for a buzz. I mean, and one of the big reasons, to be honest, is you've got a senior quarterback. Uh, you could always feel good, I think, about your team if you've got a senior quarterback who's really, you know, accomplished a lot. And yet, there's there's more to do. Uh, I, I think that that's kind of the the, the basic building block is uh, is starting there, especially in a league like the Pac-12. So um, so yeah, I agree. All right, thanks for that one, Eric. Uh, down in SEC country, let's see. Tarek had a question. Uh, have you seen evidence that Michael Hutchings can be a dominant middle linebacker? I wouldn't ever call him. I wouldn't say dominant. I think uh, he's a, a classic example. I think of how they play football. You know, at Concord at you know, De La Salle, and 
he's a uh, you know uh, uh, a technician, not an overly um, not as big as some of the freshmen coming in. That's for sure. Uh, and he's had some you know injury issues that you know haven't maybe let him you know be where where he would hope to be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he you know fills out, fits out. You know how he fits in, fills out. And uh, now that he's certainly, uh, you know, played enough and been around enough, I'll be interested to see uh, where he makes a place for himself in this coming year. But uh, dominant, no, you would hope he'd be part of a dominant defense uh, as, you know, as a part of, uh, you know, I think a defense that's going to be able to rotate a lot more players in and out, which allows it to be more dominant. Uh, But, uh I think that's a, a good guy to keep an eye on. I mean, I think uh, when you look at the linebackers, there's a lot of guys to keep an eye on. You know, does Lamar Dawson, uh, you know, come back uh, to the point where, you know, he's almost physically big enough to be, uh, you know, a dominant guy. How does his knee come back uh, for his, you know, final year? Uh, Jabari Ruffin, what do we see there? Uh, you know, with Scott Felix, does he, uh, you know, kind of that light bulb, you know, go on and you, you, you start making those kind of plays that JR, you know, till I made. All of that. I, I think uh, with the, you know, with the new guys coming in, it's going to be an interesting place to watch uh, that linebacker position with, with all the different kinds of players that, you know, and Anthony Sorrell now with, you uh, know, be his third year as a potential starter. Uh, it'll be an interesting position to watch with all different kinds of, you know, experience levels and body types and, you know, maybe uh, places to move people around and mix and match and see where they all end up. But uh, keep an eye on the linebackers, I think. Yeah, definitely be a fun position group to watch. And we'll start uh, spring football March 3rd. We get to watch a, a lot of that stuff. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about spring football in the future podcasts as it gets a little bit closer. It's hard to believe just a few weeks away now. Uh, a couple weeks away. Yeah. Um, but, we had one last thing from Luke, uh, Dan, about USC basketball that ended up getting its second win. It seemed like the first win in, in many, many weeks. Um, but he mm-hmm. said, I can't wait to hear your and Dan's response to Andy Enfield's second victory in the Pac-12 this year. What does this mean for the USC basketball program? That's from Luke. Well, I mean, it, it, it means that, you know, this is a team that has played – kind of without a personality and without a sense of how do we win games, especially when they get into the Pac-12. And all you can hope is that it was so clear that this is a team that can play full court. They've got athletes who can run and jump. They can block shots. You know, they can run, you know, catch up with people from behind. They're, They're two guards. They had six block shots between them. They're an open court team. Um, they get much better shots when they transition and get the ball down the court. And if they don't get something, you know, on their first, uh, you know, penetration, let's say, uh, you know, the guy with the ball doesn't get, you know, can't take it all the way to the basket, then they get kickouts. And they are much more uh, able to hit those kickouts from Kate Reinhardt and, uh, and Elijah Stewart. Uh, when they're doing it out of transition, when they're doing it out of the full court game, as opposed to running their half court offense, they just this is just not a team that's 
experienced enough that's, uh, you know, that has a sense of who it is and how it does things. It's physical enough, uh, to, uh, to do the things that you got to do to win playing half court basketball at, at both ways, uh, defense as well. But if they're overplaying and just hustling and, you know, you might give up some, you know, some baskets, but you're also going to create turnovers. This is a team that's probably going to turn the ball over a lot, so you pretty much better turn the other team over as well. And when you turn them over, you really got to get it up the floor and score off of it and or give yourself a chance to get to the glass or get yourself an, a, an open uh, an open look on, this, on a three. And uh, so uh, whether that came through enough, you know, where this is, I know Andy said, well, we don't always match up as well in the full court game against, say, an Oregon as we would against an Oregon State, that Oregon's got more, you know, they want to play fast, they got more skill players. My take on that is just I think USC has to play the best way USC can play. And for these kids at this time, the best way for them to play is just, you know, turn them loose. And, uh, you know, they've got eight or even without Jordan McLaughlin, they've got eight or so kids that they can play. And, uh, you know, just go for 40 minutes and see what happens. Uh, that's, you know, that's what I hope they do. They would do. Because uh, it just didn't seem like, uh, you know, athletically they're they're decent. They stayed in games or they would make runs at teams, but they didn't really have the ability at the end to finish anybody off. And I'm thinking, you know, instead of playing that way, just try to, you know, get those runs going for most of the game and, uh, you know, just be able to play that way, you know, throughout. And uh, so we'll see if they, uh, you know, now the next game they go to Arizona. So, uh, you know, I just think this is the way you play the best. If this is the way you play the best, you got to play that way. You can say, oh, Arizona's, man, just play the way you play the best and be who you are and, uh, and see what happens. And if they just, you know, by the end of the year, if they find out who they are and how they have to play, uh, that'll be something coming out of this year. Because, you know, until the other day, you didn't have anything to say, well, you know, year two of the Andy Enfield era, we figured something out. Year two, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting closer or whatever. And I know people were hopeful that they were getting closer. I, I didn't really think they were getting closer. I thought they were good enough to be better than, than they were, and they had kind of stagnated. Uh, so let's, uh, let's hope. A uh, bunch of good kids. Uh, you can't not like Andy. Um, you wanna, and they really, USC needs a basketball team. Uh, and uh, so let's hope that was uh, the first of, of three or four really good efforts where this team discovers exactly who it is, what its personality is, how it wins basketball games. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for uh, doing the podcast solo with me. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to Coach Harvey Hyde again next week. But we appreciate you uh, coming on and look forward to talk to you again soon. Very good. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Dan. And thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you all next week.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.